Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, would you look at that? The opening to AEW Revolution was Ricky Starks versus Chris Jericho. And for the second time in a matter of months, Ricky Starks pinned... The wizard clean, one, two, three. Almost like there was nothing to worry about. Also, hello, welcome to Ups and Downs, the crazy wrestling show where I, Simon Miller, have unlocked my beard attire for this week, and I'm going to run through the latest All Elite Wrestling pay-per-view, and I'm going to say, hey, this was good and give it an up, or I'm going to go, oh, this was bad, and I'm going to give it a down. And even though it's just me wiggling my finger in indeterminate directions, we're going to have a great old time. The crowd was also super into this match as they were throughout the whole thing. And because Ricky Starks had been beaten up by the Jericho Appreciation Society over the last few weeks and they'd hurt his ribs, he wore some tape around his midsection to protect them. Because, of course, if you get some cloth and just go for the bing and tie a little knot around you, it basically just turns into armor. The pair squared off instantly as well because they do hate each other and they were punching each other in the face when Ricky went, wait a minute, it's 2023 wrestling and he did a dive. It must have got to Chris because he went for a lion salt and missed, but then he was working on the ribs. You're not gonna believe this, this is crazy. I had to ring someone and check. But the thing that Ricky Starks had tied around him, the tiny bit of cloth, did absolutely nothing. Who would have thunk it? Jericho then dropped Starks on Barry Barricade. And honestly, when it comes to Revolution, it was a revolution about kicking Barry Barricade's ass. Because in every single match, nobody gave any respect or had any justice for Barry. Now, I have said it way too many times at the point people are getting mad at me. This is just an item, an inanimate object trying to do its job. Leave him alone. Things really picked up when Ricky was able to avoid a code breaker and he went into a power bomb, but then Jericho was able to break the code anyway. But when Jericho decided to go from the top rope, Ricky hit him with the spear, but he only got a two. That's good. Starks must have been inspired by this, incorrectly so, because then he went to the top rope, but he jumped off and he landed badly on his knee. So Chris Jericho was like, ha ha, I know what I can do. I have a move that's perfect for this. And he locked in the walls of Jericho. Uh-oh. Ricky had clearly been doing his research though because he turned that into a single leg crab when out came Sammy Guevara even though the Jericho Appreciation Society had been banned from ringside. You would assume that would have caused the end of the match but no, instead Axel Andretti went and he teleported in from nowhere and just wrecked this son of a gun. And it was of course a little bit of a distraction because referee Aubrey Edwards couldn't handle any of this. He was like, there's too much of a fracas which is when Jericho got Floyd the baseball bat and he hit Ricky Starks right in those ribs. Damn it, he's gonna do it again. 
but he didn't. He did a fantastic tease. Jericho then went for the Judas effect. Stark was able to block it like he was some kind of ninja warrior when he smashed out the Rochambeau and he pinned that Chris Jericho. Slap bang in the middle of the ring. So there's two victories for Ricky Starks over Jericho and now we should just use this to push him to the moon. See, sometimes we just have to be patient and wait and see. Good opener this up. What a shift we got after this as well because it was then time for the final burial match. And look, we have to go with what the words are telling us here. The final burial. So somebody between Christian Cage and Jungle Boy was gonna die. Now all things considered, this was pretty damn good. Especially because Christian came out for the street fight wearing what I think was like a vest turtleneck thing. I mean, it was the dumbest thing you'd ever seen in your life. And done to wind you up. It was perfect. He also started running away at one point and he was going up the aisle when he got all spooked. He's like, oh my gosh, there's a casket up there. I was like, well, why did you sign up for the match, Christian, if you weren't even going to be able to handle it? Which is when Jungle Boy got a drink and threw it on Cage before all of a sudden Cage was throwing Christian down to the floor when he did indeed see some of Jungle Boy's family at ringside. So you had Mummy Boy and Sister Boy, maybe Uncle Boy. I got a bit worried here. I was like, please don't do anything crazy. Perry didn't want to find out though, so he smashed him with a dive when he was going to do something to him on Simba the Steel Steps. For the last second, Christian stopped him and it was Jungle that went right into those things. This is when everything got nasty. Because Cage then got a belt and was just whipping Jack Perry like this was going out of fashion. Once again, he was doing it right in front of the boy family. And of course, because Jungle Boy got his ass kicked so much, he started to bleed. If you're not a fan of blood, you absolutely should not watch AEW Revolution. But it does mean we bring back the AEW blood machine. And while it does go too far, give it a few minutes. Now, one of two things happened after this, because when he was done beating the hell out of Jack, Christian went to the casket coffin and he opened the top and there were two chairs in there. So one, a couple of chairs had just died and we had stolen them from the funeral home, which is very weird. Or two, before the show had even begun, Cage had put them there. You try and figure it out. Jack then got back body drop on the stage, which looked horrible, and Christian was going to kill switch him up there. When Perry just went, nope, he threw him off the damn aisleway, and he followed it up with another dive. Richard the Pretendi was all sad before he blasted Jungle right in the balls, before he took him to the casket and threw him into that over and over again. And he was hitting his head so hard on it, he must have been like, oh, I wonder if there's sweets in there. I'm going to find out. And then, then escalated because we got dirt in the eyes. We did see a kill switch. And just when Christian Cage was about to go for a concerto, Jungle Boy had the damn shovel and he quite literally knocked the thing out of his hands. It was Christian who was then trying to hit Jack with a shovel, which is instant murder. But instead, they wound up in the snare trap using the damn thing as some, I don't know, hinge. But amazingly, Christian passed out because of course he did. This is when Jungle Boy looked to the heavens in what was quite a pivotal emotional moment when he finally decided, I understand what I must do now. He absolutely pulverized Christian with a concerto. Now look, this was very well done, but it did make me laugh because the big payoff on our whole, oh my gosh, I can't believe he did that, was trying to murder a man. It did allow Perry to roll Christian into the casket and once again before he did do this, he just took a little second so don't tell me AEW doesn't do storytelling. Then when it did close it, this thing just flew to the floor. I genuinely hope Christian is okay. It also set you up for what this pay-per-view was going to be about, because look at this, Ricky Starks on a roll, Jungle Boy on a roll. Keep that in your brains, because you're going to see a lot of it. Also, what a great payoff to the feud. Up. And then we made another right decision. Cool, this was fantastic. And why? Because it was the House of Black versus the Elite for the AEW Trios titles. While the build to this had been a little bit funny, when it came to the match itself, slug me sideways, 
this was amazing. Kind of nicely too, it did indeed start with Kenny Omega versus Buddy Matthews, which is a match I wanted to see for ages. And they just went, move, 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 reversal, reversal, counter, 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 kip up, kip up, move, move, reversal, reversal. I don't really get how they're so good, but it continued on when Malachi Black tagged in there and he went at it with Omega. Once again, I was just like, these two, <laughs> why won't I ever be as good as this? I mean, before they even locked up, they got a This Is Awesome chant. I was like, yeah, it is quite awesome that two human beings are looking at each other. I mean, we never see that at all. Much like round one, it was so damn good. When Matt Jackson tagged in, he was like, get that Brody King in here. That's right. I'll show him a thing or two. But then when he sized him up, he was like, actually, I don't want to do this. And he went to tag in brother Nick. Nick was like, no, it's your bed. You lie. So as ever, I just love the young bucks and nobody can tell me that they don't understand professional wrestling maybe more than anybody else on this planet. They do. And I'll die on that hill even though I could just say it and go do something else. Eventually, Young Bucks did try to take Brody King down, but as we continue throughout the match, we just treated like King like he was a man beast. He kept ruining everyone, and I would tell you straight, it was awesome. We also got Kenny Omega doing his big Terminator dive onto all the House of Black, and when Nick Jackson hit the 450 onto Brody, do you know what this mammoth man done? He kicked out at one, it always works. This was the turning point as the House of Black started to light up everyone until Kenny Omega got the hot tag and of course he was running around smacking people with V-triggers. But even he took it too far because he thought he'd be able to snap Dragon Brody King. Brody was like, you can't do that. And he took his head off with a lariat. Everyone then started dropping like flies and the smoke cleared. You saw that we'd gone back to Omega versus Black. But how can you not be pumped about this? When they basically had a knee battle. I don't think they teach you how to do a knee battle in wrestling school. At this stage, Julia Hart was like, well, look, I'm here in my badass weird hat thing with all these frays. I should go and do something. This was essentially to distract Kenny when he was about to hit Malachi Black with the one wing angel. And when everyone did land back on their feet because there was some wiggling, <laughs> Kenny Omega, I think, went to V-Trigger Black. He got out the way and he just smacked Julia Hart right in the face, which got us a massive reaction, especially when he just went shrug emoji. I mean, it was her fault. It's then near full time, including this amazing one after Dante's Inferno, which was broken up at 2.99999. And Brody was so mad that Matt Jackson had done that, he grabbed him and basically literally threw him into the crowd. At least he went over Barry Barricade. Gunner left Kenny isolated, but of course his friends would never abandon him. So they got back in there with a bunch of super kicks. And as they went to hit the Meltzer driver, as Nick Jackson was mid-flip, mid-flip, Buddy Matthews returned and he kneed him right in the face. And if Nick Jackson doesn't have a broken jaw, well, something weird is going on. I mean, I will never get over that. Like, I didn't have a beard before I saw that moment and it grew because I think my adrenaline went so high. And then, yeah, the House of Black took care of me they need to take care of. They hit Dante's Inferno and the ref went one and the ref went two and the ref went three and this place exploded brand new champ. So you do have to see it because it's incredible stuff and a small part of me thinks that maybe the Young Bucks will go back to the tag team scene whereas Kenny Omega can start going through the singles division again. I mean I'd take MJF versus Kenny Omega but either way fantastic stuff. I swear I booked this pay-per-view too because we then got another match and while the result is not what I predicted the spin at the end was a massive thumbs up. Because it was time for Jamie Hayter versus Soraya versus Ruby Soho for the AEW Women's Championship. And at first it was like, well, I hate you and you hate me and I hate her, so we are three. But by the end of it, we were going to have some allegiances. I mean, Soho was diving off barriers in the crowd in the early going to take out both Soraya and Jamie Hayter before they got rid of her so Jamie and Soraya could go out of it a little bit. And we even saw a rock bottom onto the apron. Now, I'm really sick today. Like, you have no idea what's going in between takes here. So all I'll tell you is... 
was the hardest part of the ring. Hater was then suplexing two people at once because she is a powerhouse when Soraya was hitting the nightcap and taking out Ruby Soho with the Saito suplex. And I think in that brief moment, Jamie must have taken a phoenix down because she was instantly back into this she hit the hate breaker. Soraya then made a massive error because she was yelling at both people saying, you've got to calm down and you've got to calm down. So they beat her up. But once again, it was instant kind of karma because there was a Tower of Doom spot. Who got the better than this? It was Soraya. It totally fell apart because Tony Storm and Britt Baker couldn't handle what was going on. So they jumped on the apron. Then we get in all kinds of moves, including the Rampage and a most devastating move in all of sports entertainment, the surprise roll-up battle. And do you know who got the better of that, my friends? It was the champion. It was Jamie Hayter. One, two, three. So she held on to the gold, but fate. And straight away, Tony Storm and Soraya were beating everybody up like, man, I can't believe that happened. I'm so mad right now. And Ruby Soho was looking on like, man, these children, why did I come here? Always making my life such a misery. So she took Tony and she took Soraya and she threw them out of the ring. She then went to raise Jamie Hayter's hands and she went, ha ha, I'm kidding. She beat her up. She up a Britt Baker as well, and she got the spray can and went shh and sprayed them with the L. Now imagine you did this in any other walk of life. You're in the corner going, well, I know who I'm about to team up with, but let's do some pageantry first. So I really do think this was the right thing to do because the story just makes sense. Tony Storm, Soraya, and Ruby Soho came from afar, and the people that were born in AEW don't like it. That's cool. We don't have to start saying AEW is better than WWE or vice versa. It's just a tell that everybody can understand. And I actually think there's a lot of potential with Ruby Soho as a heel. She's done a lot when it comes to being a face. Giving this an up is damn entertaining. I also wonder where it's going to go next. I think we should do a big blood and guts match down the line. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And talking about blunt, and talking about guts, and talking about wondering about directions, it was then time for a Texas death match. Hangman Adam Page versus Jonathan Moxley. Now, I do not know what to do here because, again, what was the name of this match? A Texas death match. If you sat down going, well, I can't wait till the Care Bears turn up, you probably didn't have the right approach to this. But even then, 
Was it a little bit too much for my taste? Yes, it was. There were certain moments in this, I made start crying. Like, oh, I can't believe they're doing this. But talk about compelling action. Hangman Adam Page also had this really, really cool cowboy-themed entrance. I think he's got brand new music now, which is awesome. And within about 3.2 seconds, there was barbed wire, and there was barbed wire boards, and there was barbed wire bats, and there was barbed wire grandmas. Anything that you could wrap barbed wire in, all of a sudden was just featured in this match. Mox's head went into one of these instantly, and he was bleeding to bring down the blood machine, and it rolls up to five, but do not worry, we are not done. Because when, uh, what's his name, Moxley had Paige in the triangle, he got out of fork, because either he wanted to eat some chicken, or maybe he thought he's Abdullah the Butcher, I'm not kidding you. He took the damn fork. I'm closing my eyes. He took the damn fork and he just ranked it. It's not even a word, but he just poked it into Hangman Adam Page's forehead. And you could see it. It wasn't some funny, ha-ha, plastic fake fork. It's a real fork going into somebody's head. This is what I did. I started walking around going, what is going on? What am I meant to do? Who can I phone? I don't have a phone right now. What are we doing? It also means we bring back the blood machine. I've lost count, but just put a one on it for goodness sake. When all of a sudden, they had a barbed wire chair. And I was like, who is making these weapons? I want to have a word. I mean, Paige went so hard into a chair at one point, it left a bloody imprint. And then they did this Boston crab over a barbed wire chair. And that may sound like nothing, but the crowd actually went because <gasps> it looked so damn disgusting. But if I told you this was some kind of medieval torture device, you would believe me. King Henry VIII being all like, oh, somebody get me my barbed wire torment throne. Adam then decided he would wrap himself in barbed wire like he was going out for the day and he went through his closet. It was all, oh man, this is a lovely barbed wire number. But he did it so he could go to the top rope and hit his moonsault to the outside. Can you imagine that? Once again, when you're in wrestling school, Worry learner today, Chief. Well, you're going to learn how to catch someone that is covered in metal spikes. This is the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. Mox is clearly a revenge artist, though, because he then went and got a brick and he was smashing the hangman's hand into it and later took his face and did the same thing. So, we should have an attempted murder for AEW Revolution. Be through the roof. At this point, I was basically like, man, we should have just settled this over a nice game of chess but they could have had a handshake at the end of it. And we also did things like reversing the buckshot lariat into the Death Rider, but neither of these guys would stay down because they both wanted to get back up again. Moxie was also obsessed with this brick, but much like Pac and his happy hammer, it was actually going to be his undoing, because when he ran at the cowboy later on, Adam was like, well, I'm sick of being hit with this thing, so why don't I do that to him? And he just twonked him in the head. By this point, he'd also gotten a chain, so he tied that around John Moxley, he hit the buckshot lariat, which sent Mox over the top rope, and Adam must have planned this, because then he pulled on the damn chain, which means, that's right, John Moxie was literally being hanged to death. Because I'm sorry, my friends, there's no two ways about it. If you're hanging over a rope and you've got around your neck and you can't breathe, you're gonna die. Moxley knew this too so incredibly, and I still can't believe it, even though it's been hours since I watched it, he had to tap out, and I did some digging. Apparently, the last time he submitted this way was around about 10 years ago, so this was a flubbing big deal. I'm not actually sure anybody won or lost here either, unless there's some kind of blood clinic that makes a ton of cash when people with blood on their faces do come in. But you have to give this an up. You just do the effort that they went to and the sheer risks that they took. Like even if you're like me and somebody was like, uh, no, it's disgusting, oh, it's awful. You can still understand what they were trying to do. So I'm gonna give them a massive round of applause. John Moxley, you're a hero. Same to you, Hangman Adam Page. I don't actually know how you did this, but of course, you were getting an up. Now that seems kind of pathetic. This was so damn intense. And then Paul Wardlow and Samoa Joe had to follow this 
for the TNT title. I mean, nobody on the planet could have done this. It would be like all of a sudden Elvis coming back from the dead and going, oh, and he leaves and then Jay-Z walks on. He'd be like, listen, I love Jay-Z, but what the hell did Elvis just do? And it was good though, because of course it's good. Wardlow and Samoa Joe are really good, but the fans were just left reeling, as was I. And they did get into their big men slapping man meat stuff, and Wardlow has crazy athleticism, and he did that amazing senton. But you could just look out in the crowd, and all of them were trying to process it, did I see a man try to eat Hangman Adam Page's skull? You also saw Powerhouse Hobbs looking on from the crowd. I like to think he was going, man, I'm going to do some of this big men slapping man meat stuff soon. At one point, Wardlow was able to hit the spine buster and F10 onto Samoa Joe. And to me, that was super impressive. Have you seen Samoa Joe? He's not a small man. Joe knows what he's doing, though. So he dodged a clothesline and locked in the Kikina clutch. And even when Wardlow got to the ropes, Joe just started to go to town on him. I love it when Samoa Joe does this. Nobody comes across as more legitimate. They then started somehow trading power bombs, which is not a thing, because again, a power bomb is a big old move. And just when Samoa Joe was like, ha ha ha, I will defeat Wardlow with his own maneuver, Wardlow decided, no, I'm actually going to do the same thing to you. Because he locked in a version of the Kikina Kutch, I suppose, or it was a choke. They fell on the floor, and from nowhere, the ref went, oh, well, Samoa Joe is out. So Wardlow is the brand new champion. What? And we also went back to 1987 here because the referee did the whole three arm drop thing, which actually kind of tied into the main event. So that was smart, but I couldn't help it. Because these were two beasts who just want to knock the crap out of each other, I already think Wardlow should have just gone powerbomb symphony time for you, beating Joe for the three. But look, it's definitely an up, especially given the position they were in. I thought they did everything they absolutely could, but the finish did catch me flat basically for all the reasons that I've already said. Like, I think you wanted to take the fans up as high as you could here. I don't want to repeat myself, but for the things we've already talked about. So that aspect is getting it down. This is just so damn minute. But throughout the whole revolution thing, everything just went up and up and up and up. This was just a teeny little bit of a roadblock. This whole night, however, was focused on trying to get the homegrown AEW talent over because it was then time for the AEW Tag Team Championships and the Gun Club won. They were also taking on Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal, the acclaimed and the greatest tag team ever of Dan Housen and Orange Cassidy. And of course, it started off with Jeff Jarrett doing a strut and Orange Cassidy putting his hands in his pockets. So I looked at my TV and said, this is the best match I've ever seen. Dan Housen also tagged in because he wanted to prove his worth when the ass boys beat him up. Probably because it was Dan Housen who coined them the ass boys to begin with. But Orange flew in with the DDT and when he was about to give the Orange punch to Austin Gunn, he just ran away. And I really like the guns. They're just a couple of massive dicks. Jay Lethal then went and did some lock picking because he was in there with a lethal combination when Orange Cassidy came back with the Stun Dog Millionaire. And the Acclaim were done waiting at this point, so they hit Scissor Me Timbers onto Sanjay Dutt. That would be the best and most wrestling sentence I say today. Colton and Austin were also on fire during this because any time they saw even a little advantage, they took hold of it, which is when things got obnoxious because all the bad guys were then doing the strut. It allowed Max Caster to get the hot tag and he did that amazing thing where he takes down the straps from his non-existent singlet so he can hit the angle slam. Let's not forget how popular the acclaimed are at the moment. So while they didn't win here, We've got to give them something soon. The guns continue to entertain me because while they'd basically been teaming up with Jarrett's crew up to this point, this is when they changed their minds and just jumped them. I was like, hey, you bricks to everybody. And it was a really terrible idea because Satnam Singh got in there and he was like, well, I can't believe you just did that. And he flattened them. It also led to this amazing bit between Danhausen and Satnam and the size difference was great. And somehow it ended with Billy Gunn getting in there and hitting the worst famous sir I've ever seen in my life. 
but because it was the worst one, it instantly means it was the best. What? Also, the Colton then for the 67th time in the match lowered themselves and they just whacked their own dad right in the penis. And I was like, that is so disrespectful. That's basically 50% of the reason you're here to begin with. Colton carried on this good run though when he stopped the acclaimed after he hit the mic drop. But all of a sudden we were teasing we were going to use the guitar and some people were like, oh, I can't do that. It'd be a disqualification. I was like, I'm sorry. No way. Of all the things we've already seen, you could get a gun out and shoot someone and you still can't call it a DQ. It didn't matter anyway because Jay Lethal used this to just sneak in there and smack Caster with the golden globes. I was like, man, this is so well put together because it's insane. Which is when Jeff and Aubrey Edwards lost it with each other. <laughs> Aubrey pushed Jarrett. Everybody went crazy. Dan Housen also tried to get back in here at this point and he went for the pump kick. Sadly, the guns are ready for that. They hit that 310 to Yuma move, whatever the hell they call it. And yeah, they pinned him for the one, two, three. And I was like, damn, I didn't see that coming. I thought they were going to lose. Once again, though, it was going to tie into a post-match angle because Rennie Paquette was in there. And she said, oh, Austin and Colton, you did so good. And before they could say much of anything, FTR's music hit. And this place came unglued. They also got into a massive brawl with the guns. So there is your brand new program. And we should give the belts to FTR. Honestly, they were so over. It made me laugh. They are living the dream. I'm giving it an up. Which did indeed bring us to our main event. And AEW had done a great job in making me go, well, I'm 99.9% sure MJF will win. What if he doesn't? What if we give it to Brian Danielson? Which meant all of this was a tremendous success. It's also doubly true because fans know, actually, it's only the last five minutes of an Iron Man match that counts because that's when you get down to brass taxes. But it is why. Maxwell Jacob Friedman and Brian Danielson deserve all the praise in the world because not only did they make this interesting for over an hour... It's probably the best damn Iron Man match I've ever seen in my life. Maxwell also had this big entrance. We had a bunch of violinists playing his theme as they wore masks as he came out in the devil mask. And early on, he was like, Haha, I'm going to outwork Brian Danielson. So, of course, Brian kicked his ass. Now, we can't go through this as we usually do because we'll be here all day. And I'm sure you're sick of me as it is. But the major story here was that Brian is the best wrestler in the world. And MJF may be the champion, but slowly and surely... He started to prove, well, I am on his level. Maybe I can be even better. The difference being, he's a good guy. I'm an absolute jackass. And I will do whatever I have to to win. Now, we do have to mention at one point, Maxwell threw a drink over some kid and his mum, which caused the proper backstage chaos. So he's a mega heel. And he looked into the camera and went, oh, Dave, are you going to take one star off me? So we were doing super insider baseball stuff here too. As always, you know this, I'm a nerd, I loved it. Maxwell also made sure to focus on Brian Danielson's arm because that has been a part of the build. But throughout this too, MJF also hurt his knee. So basically we balanced the books, which is when we got to the 26th minute mark. Because Brian remembered that he too had a powerful part of his leg and he took his knee and he whammed it right into MJF's face and he was able to get the three count. But then instantly Maxwell went, well, look what I can do. He hit Danielson right in the penis and only did he pin him once, but he pinned him twice. So technically it was two to one for the referee went, well, no, you can't do that. The penis is not something you're allowed to go with. So it was two for two. And I absolutely love it when we do this in the Iron Man match. Do something to take advantage of. If you're going to have a stipulation, you've got to have fun with the novelty of it. It also ties into the fact that, yes, Friedman was going to cheat as much as possible. Although then he put Brian on Alan the announce table, or Timmy the timekeeper's table, I should say. And he hit this crazy top rope elbow drop. And then with the remnants of the wood, he took Brian Danielson and he tombstoned him through it. And I was like, man, we are not in Kansas anymore, Toho. He also busted Brian open, so bring it down. The blood machine rolls up to 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 162. When he also got Danielson back in the ring, he hit the heat seeker. And because he'd been smashed through Timmy... 
He was able to get the three. Now it was three to two MJF. He also started to run down Brian Danielson's children, which is a perfectly normal thing to do. And at this stage, Brian kind of looked like he was out of it. Everybody was stunned. This is the American Dragon though, so he timed this amazing headbutt perfectly, which did make MJF bleed. So bring it down, that's what, 62 million? Who the hell knows? And all of a sudden, he started to fight back as far as I'm concerned, the argument is now over. He was so good throughout this, and he just has so much fire, and he makes you believe. I genuinely think that Brian Danielson is the best wrestler ever. Look at me, I'm not kidding. It also led to Danielson hitting another big knee and applying the regal streak to make MJF tap out, so it was three to three. And this all built to the last 10 minutes which were absolutely, truly tremendous emotional pro wrestling. When the blood was flowing like wine, and at one point, Brian Danielson was like, Haha, I'm having the time of my life. It's MJF like, I want this to stop. I'm not enjoying it at all, Mark. And the timing of the finish was exquisite because Danielson kept going back to this leg that Maxwell had hurt. He put on this really crazy looking single crab. And just as the timer got to zero, Maxwell did indeed tap out. But this was not in the official time limits. So the referee ruled it. A draw. So this whole thing was exquisitely put together and you have to watch it. And of course, sooner or rather later, it was announced sudden death rules. And amazingly, and blessed these two, the first thing they did was go for the most devastating move in all of sports entertainment. But of course, when MJF went for his, he punched Brian in the dick first. And once again, I bit on that because you could just see it as a finish. Maxwell was also thinking about using the world title. And the ref was like, well, you can do that, but I'll just DQ you, absolute idiot. So he changed his mind. But this is when he did put on the diamond ring. When Danielson took advantage of this because he hit another big knee. And honestly, I truly thought that was the end, especially because all of a sudden Brian had started to go, yes, 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 which he's never done in AEW before. And Friedman kicked out and I don't want to be that guy and a little bit of this is hyperbole that was one of the best kickouts I've ever seen in my days it then went crazy because Brian went back to this horrible looking single leg crab and when MGF was about to tap out the referee saw that he had the diamond ring on so he took it off his person as you would do I mean that was just a little aside because then what happened is MGF went into asshole mode he was able to crawl over to the ropes he grabbed it but then he tapped out but of course Brian didn't know that he grabbed the ropes all he heard was that, so he let go and started to celebrate, and the badness was coming. Because during the end of the thing and sudden death, a medical team had gone to the ring to give Maxwell oxygen because he was so exhausted, even though Danielson was ready to go. And when Friedman rolled to the outside after this, he found that damn oxygen tank. So when Brian came to get him, he took it, he twonked him on the head which means he had just done the most despicable thing ever. Even if you thought that was enough, it wasn't, because MJF then had the audacity to lock in the label lock onto Danielson. And while we pretended and teased that he was just going to pass out as we did the one, two, three with the hand, no. Brian started to fight once again. He was asking for those yes chants to make you think he was going to fight out of it when he fell back down to the ground and he tapped out. And again, when does Brian Danielson ever tap out? was actually a work of art. It also means that MJF retained his championship and this was such an astonishing performance from both guys. AEW has to use it to turn them into global superstars or something. I mean, MJF feels like a bigger deal than he already did. Danielson is just on another planet and I cannot tell you, I cannot come up with the words to underline how amazing this was. I mean, I'll never be able to do it. I'll put my hands up. Maybe I could have was in there with one of them. That's how good they are. But it doesn't just get it up. It gets a golden up again. Put a big full stop on it. The greatest Iron Man match this bald idiot has ever seen. So wow, just wow. What an incredible pay-per-view this was. 
I'd have to sit down and think about it, but it's absolutely one of the best ones AEW has ever put on, and it has something for everyone. And unlike other ones, it just flew by. I mean, it was so damn quick. I am giving it an up. Now, please do click one of the videos on the screen to continue your YouTube adventure here on What Culture Wrestling. And like the video, share the video, and subscribe. Go to whatculture.com to keep up to date with all the fallout from the show. And there'll be loads. And we're on social media. So what Culture WWE and Simon Miller 316. My name is the bearded version of Simon Miller. Thank you very much for joining me as always. That was a long one. Whew. I need to go and rest now. See you soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.